Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes in chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 8. We've been walking through this book and enjoying seeing Solomon who has taken an honest look at life without regard to God. What does a life without regard to God look like? And his conclusion was, is that it's vanity, vanity. It is empty, empty. And as we continue to come on, we're going to find that the last half of the book of Ecclesiastes becomes a lot more practical, a lot more observations, things that we can apply to our life, not just saying that life is empty, but also seeing things to consider to look in our life. Notice, if you don't mind, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 8. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 1. Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, and verse 1. Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in regard to the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where is the word, where the word of a king is, there is power and who may say unto him, who dost thou? Who keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark an expression that we find in Ecclesiastes chapter number 8? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, notice with me verse number 8. Notice the phrase, the day of death. The day of death. As Solomon is looking at his life, he understands that everyone has an expiration date. Everyone has a date that they have to die. Everyone has an appointment. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 that as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. There is an appointment that we have. There is a day of death. And if we're going to enter that into our equation, we understand that we need to make the most of the life that we have now. No one can tell the day of their death. No one knows when they're going to die. 
but we need to have wisdom in applying for it. Um, Just as a little side thing, we get our wisdom from God. But yet so many people are looking for wisdom for so many other places. They're looking for answers. They did a statistic where about one third of Americans believe in their horoscope. I forgot how many have to check their horoscope every day before leaving the house. Uh, I think it was 32% of Americans. Another percentage says that they look at their horoscope occasionally. What is a horoscope? You're using the signs of of heaven, of the stars to tell your future. People are looking for something to tell them what to do, what's in their life, what are they going to face? Well, we know that those things don't lead to true wisdom. It is the word of God that leads to wisdom. It tells us what to do. It gives us information that we need to have. And we don't know when we're going to die, but we know that all of us have an appointment with death. And we have to have that as part of our equation and living our life that one day we're going to die. And one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. And one day we're going to have to look at our life. Life is connected to death. And if we're facing death, we have to prepare in life for that death. The question is, is have you made that preparation? If you don't mind, let's look and see some things in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Notice, if you don't mind, the first thing, the counsel concerning life. The counsel concerning life. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 1. Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his faith face shall be changed. Here it's talking about that we need wisdom. We do need wisdom. And that wisdom affects our countenance. Wisdom affects what we do. Wisdom affects how we perceive things. Remember that one of the big things that we need to look for in wisdom is God's perspective on a matter. We may think that we see a a thing clearly, but when we get wisdom, we get God's perspective on a matter and it changes how we view things. For example, just taking the subject of death. Man, without regard to God, fears death. It's a thing that they don't want to face. It's something they don't want to put in their occasion. They don't want to think about it and they're afraid of it. But when we find wisdom from God's perspective, we could see absent from the body is present with the Lord. That we have something better than this. We could see that we could prepare for death. We could accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior. We have to look at things from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is finding God's perspective on a matter and then being able to apply it within our life. And when we have God's wisdom in our life, it changes everything. It changes how we enjoy life. Again, taking God out of the context, taking it without regard to God. We have a world that's falling apart, just speeding at a thousand miles an hour. No one's driving the ship. The whole thing's falling apart. It is hard for people to enjoy life the way that they should. They find little things to try to fill the void, but there is a lot of chaos in everyone's life. But when we find God's wisdom, we find God's perspective, it changes how we see life and how to live our life from day to day. And we can enjoy the journey rather than just trying to find something to fill in the void, which we had spoke about last week. Notice as it goes on in verse 2, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. Notice this, we have this phrase, 
I counsel thee. That as we're looking for wisdom, we've talked, talked about this before in our Proverbs series, that we need to find a multitude of counselors. There's counsel to get, things to help us to get God's perspective. Here we could see God as he's using Solomon to write this. He says, I counsel thee. Let me give you some wisdom. Let me give you some things to help with the life that you have now. So let's look through and see these things that has been counseled to enjoy the life of these things. Verse number two, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment that in regard to the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight, whose sight the kings. Stand not in the evil thing, for whatsoever he, the king, doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, who doest thou? Now, pause. What is this speaking about? The counsel that is being given here is the idea of obeying biblical authority. That if we want to have the life that we um, a life of wisdom, we have to get God's counsel on the matter. And the God's counsel on the matter is to obey biblical authority. Now we know that people without regard to God, without having God in their equation, whether they're saved or not saved, people can be saved and not find God's wisdom, that we find that they want to rebel against everything. Rebel against authority. Rebel against biblical authority. Rebel against this. Rebel against this. Rebellion is our default nature. We don't like people telling us what to do. But remember that God guides and leads us through biblical authority. Even when biblical authority is wrong. This is how God guides us and directs us. And that if we want wisdom, we understand that God is the one who's placed authority in our life. And that our response to that authority helps us to enjoy the life. Remember, we've hit a lot of these principles in Proverbs already that we're now going to put together. The Bible says it is only by, only by pride cometh forth contention. That when we have strife and contention, it's because of pride. Whose pride? Our pride. I can't believe the boss asked me to do this. That's pride. I can't believe pastor said this. It's pride. Can't believe my husband wants me. Pride. Can't believe my parents. Pride. You see, all these start working together now. And when we have our pride acting up, and now we're ready to strive, we're ready to contend, we're not currently present tense enjoying life. Amen. We're up in arms. Can't sleep. We can't function. We keep having our mind go back. I can't believe it's stupid. And that's not how God wants us. He wants to enjoy the journey. But so many people can't enjoy the journey for the simple reason is that they won't submit to biblical authority. They won't allow God to be in charge even with people who are not in charge. Tying things in together again. Remember, the heart of a king is in the Lord's hands. He turneth it whithersoever he willeth. That God could even use heathen kings who are not believers, who don't have any respect to God, to get across his will and accomplish. We can trust God. You see, it's a change of perspective. Well, I can't trust this president. I can't trust that president. Can't trust the former president. No one's asking you to. Can you trust God? Amen. Can you trust God to guide him through? Well, I can't trust my husband. He's a good for nothing goofball. Well, that's fine. Can you trust God? Remember in... Uh, <coughs> The book of 1 Peter chapter 3, it's dealing with the idea of a subject of a wife 
whose husband doesn't want to obey the Bible. And it says that he's not going to be one with the word. And that beating him over the head and saying that he's a scumbag doesn't work. Many lives have tried. It doesn't fix him that way. So how does he won? I heard uh, Pastor Sexton said he was working up a courage to preach a message called The Wordless Woman. He just said it probably is not going to fly as a title. But in the context, it's saying that he could be one without the word by the conversation of the behavior of the wife. That as she concentrates on trying to be the best believer, the best follower of God that she ought to be, that the inner man of the heart is what of, is in God of great price. That as she changes and she submits to God, that their husband says there's something real about her faith. There's something real about her God. Not just because of what she says, but the way she behaves, the way that she responds. He's even going to challenge her and try to see if he could provoke her. And when she responds differently, he's going to say there's something real to this. How is that all applying? By obeying biblical authority. It goes on in verse number uh, six, if I remember correctly, six or seven, first Peter chapter three, six or seven, where it talks about Sarah calling uh, her master, her calling um, Abraham Lord, meaning master, meaning yes, sir. And some people say, well, Abraham and Sarah, that's a horrible example. Here's Abraham, the friend of God. How easy was her life? Well, probably need to go read Genesis again because there was a time where they were in Egypt because Abraham was backslidden. They were out of the place where God wanted them to be. He goes in. Sarah, by the way, is about 50, 60 years old. And yet everyone's checking her out and going, man, she's hot. She's beautiful. And Abraham's like, I'm afraid they're going to beat me up when they find out I'm your husband and they're going to kill me so they can marry you. I mean, how pretty was she? And Pharaoh looks, hey, he looks out his window. She's pretty. Hey, go ask about her. Who's the guy traveling with her? Is it husband? He says he's the brother. Oh, she's single. And so, meanwhile, Abraham said, tell everyone that you're my sister. Do you think she probably rolled her eyes? What are you thinking? Was Abraham being stupid then? Yes. Could she trust Abraham? No. Could she trust God? Yes. And so God delivered her and protected her from sin. Later on, you think they learn his lesson. She's now 80 years old, still beautiful. And Abraham's still afraid to think, man, everyone's going to look at you. You're so beautiful. And they're going to beat me up and kill me. So that way they could take you for the self. Tell everybody my sister. You'd almost say, we've already went through this. Why are you doing this again? And she obeyed, not because she trusted her husband, but because she trusted God. Amen. You see there was a different perspective on authority. And by the way, God protected them again. Abraham messed up lots of times and Sarah has to be draw, uh, brought along with it, but she becomes a good example of not being able to trust her good for nothing husband who's being a scumbag and saying stupid things, but being able to trust God to lead through biblical authority. This is what we're seeing here in the book of Ecclesiastes. There are so many people who cannot enjoy their life because they're in rebellion. They hate this president. They hate this president. They hate this governor. They hate this governor. They hate this rule. They hate this rule. And it spends all of their life. They're fighting against authority, against all these other things. And now they're just miserable, miserable. And they're not enjoying the life that they have. Can we trust God? Now, 
let me pause. Submission is not silence. It's saying the right thing at the right time at the right place with the right spirit. You could, it's not being a doormat. That's not what we're talking about. But it's the idea that when my authority is being stupid, I could still trust God. We could trust him. It changes the way that we live. Wisdom is having a change of perspective to God's perspective inside of our life. As we're still in Ecclesiastes chapter number eight, notice as it goes on. Verse number four, where the word of a king is, there is power. There is great power in biblical authority. Remember, this is the fastest way to grow as a Christian is to learn to obey biblical authority and not just nod your head and smile, but doing it with your heart. Remember, obedience is not just doing the action. It's doing it with your heart or submission. So if I go tell a teenager, go clean your room, fine. And they go clean the room where they submitted. Not at all. Because it's with their heart. It, this is the secret of getting their heart. When we see God's perspective, then our heart would follow. I can trust God. And when I trust God and I follow the authority that he has placed in my life to allow him to guide me and direct me, there is great power. Now again, to the world, this doesn't make sense. To the world, they shake their head and say, what in the world? This is garbage. But with God's perspective, we see that there is great power. And this is how God guides us and directs us and grabs us influence. Verse number five, whosoever keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Notice in verse five again, whosoever keepeth the commandment shall feel, feel no evil thing. Again, it's talking about there's a protection as we follow uh, the biblical authority that God guides us and directs us. As we're talking about uh, kids, there's, uh, let me give you this verse here. If you obey biblical authority, you'll feel no evil thing. We're doing a message on biblical discipline here in just a second, okay? You'll feel no evil thing, okay? Smile at me at least, kids. <laughs> I don't want to feel the evil thing, right? Amen. Amen. Good. Some people think that Rod's an evil thing. They try to hide it, right? Right? Joke. Come on, you guys lighten up. It's fine. Uh... All right. <laughs> that we know that when we're obeying biblical authority, we're actually protected from so many consequences that hit. Even with the idea of Abraham and Sarah. So when Sarah uh, stands before God, is God going to yell at her for submitting to Abraham? Even though Abraham and asked her to say, tell everybody you're my sister. No, God honors us when we obey that biblical authority because he protects us. He guards us we'll feel no evil thing. That there is a protection that comes with it. Now, a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Now, here's something powerful here. That a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. When we have wisdom, remember wisdom is now developing, seeing things from God's perspective, that we'll have discernment, the idea of far-seeing, for both time and judgment. The judgment is the idea of knowing what to do and what we're supposed to do. We need wisdom to do that. Time is when we're supposed to do it. Remember, this idea of discernment covers both of these things. 
we have to understand when is the appropriate time to do these things. That's part of that discernment. <clears throat> we know that uh, people could start doing the obedience, but they have the timing wrong. Those have to work together to be a wise person. Verse number six, because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. Why? Because they fail to have wisdom and discernment for time and judgment. We have to have those right in the, uh, at the right time, right place. For example, we can do the right thing at the wrong time. All right, so let's just imagine being facetious using an extreme example. Preacher preaches, all right, we need to read our Bibles. We need to read our Bibles. Everybody understands the context. We're supposed to read our Bibles. So someone says, all right, fine, I'm going to put my earbuds in while the preacher's preaching and I'm going to read my Bible. Is that the right time? No. no. <laughs> we understand we have to have the right time and the right actions. That's part of being a wise discerning person is be able to have the discernment. All right, this is what I've been told to do. This is when I'm supposed to carry it out to have that wisdom to do it to for the time and wisdom. This is a whole message altogether to study for yourself. But if you're going to be a wise person, you need to have time and judgment, both discerning when and what I'm supposed to do. Those tie in together. Good. Verse number seven. For he that knoweth not which shall be, for whom can tell when it shall be. Now, as we start switching uh, uh, ideas now from life, now we start switching to the certainty of death. The certainty of death. In verse number seven, for he that knoweth not which it shall be, for whom can tell when it shall be? May I remind you that none of us know when we're going to die. There's an uncertainty of it, but it is certain that we will face death. Notice verse number eight. For there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Meaning there's not a single person who's able to say, no spirit, you can't, you can't go away. You got to stay with me. Now, with this, let's go ahead and understand how God has created us. First Thessalonians 5.23 explains that all of man is made up of three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Oftentimes, I'll have people draw three circles like a target. And in the inner circle, you have the spirit. Inside of the spirit is... <laughs> where God is to reside. When we come to get saved, that's where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Inside of our spirit, we have our conscience. Within our spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within us to help guide us into the inner man. The middle circle, we have our soul. Our soul is made up of three parts. It's made up of spirit, or sorry, it is made up of will, intellect, and emotion. Will, intellect, and emotion. With our intellect, we think. With our emotion, we feel. With our will, we make a decision. By the way, your will, you can make a decision based off of emotions, or you can make a decision based off of intellect. But our will, we make a decision. Now, in our spirit and our soul, that's our inner man. That's what makes us us. The third part of man is our body. In our body, we have our five senses. Taste, touch, smell, hearing. We have our five senses. When we die, 
the inner man is separated from our body. What makes us us is not our body. What makes us us is our inner man, our spirit and our soul. And that the Bible here, as it's making reference, that none of us have the power to keep our soul from escaping us when we die. We can't plug it up. We can't hold on to it. We can't grip up to it. There's many people who have tried and wish they could. A great study, a personal study, a side study would be to see the last, uh, the last uh, words of saints and sinners. I've got great books. Lockyer has put a great book on. But it sees what people have said at the end of their life. Whether it's Queen Elizabeth I who had a great empire that was built of the British Empire, who was so afraid to die that they put mattresses against the wall. She didn't have the strength to stand anymore, but she was so afraid to go to sleep. And she said, all of my empire for one more day. For one more day. You have the infidel Voltaire who hated God did everything he could. He once said that I predict in 50 years or 100 years, the only place you could ever find a Bible was <coughs> uh, in a museum somewhere where people uh, smiled at the mythological uh, beliefs of uh, people in the past. Well, 10 years after his death, they turned his house into a printing press for Bibles. But um, just to show that God had a sense of humor. But Voltaire, the man who hated God, he, uh, would peep, when he was dying, people came to try to comfort him. He would chase them off. And finally, at the end of his life, he says, I've been forsaken of God and forsaken of men. I'm going to go face God and it will not be good. He knew that he was dying. To see how these people wish they could do anything to withhold and grab their spirit and keep it from going, but no money can. There is no man that hath power over his spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. We know that there is an appointed time and a place for man to die. Everyone is going to meet God. Now, the question is, is are you prepared to meet your God? In order to be prepared to meet our God, there's some questions that need to be answered. First of all, do you recognize that you're a sinner? Every single one of us have sinned to come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, listen, how do you know that I've sinned? I've determined that I did what was right in my life. Well, once again, wisdom is going back to God's perspective. God has put the qualifications of sin and what is sin. And sin is just missing God's mark, missing God's standard. For example, God has given the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, God gives us his rules of holiness. And we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. A second thing we have to recognize is because of our sin, we owe God a great price. We're going to stand before him and give an account. And we're going to be sentenced to judgment. For those who have accepted Jesus as your personal savior, you get to live with God forever. But for those who have not accepted Jesus as their savior, the sentence that you owe God, you're condemned already. You're sentenced to an awful place called hell. That's an awful 
But the good news is, is that God didn't want a single person to go there. So Jesus Christ came, who was God robed in flesh, came on this earth and he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine, to give us forgiveness of sins full, free, and forever. He rose again the third day to prove that Jesus was indeed God and that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. And that all we have to do is accept Jesus as our personal savior. I just recently had an officer ask me, what's the difference between a Baptist and a Lutheran? That's a great question. And I said, there's two major things. First of all, we believe as Baptists, we believe the Bible is literally true. Whereas Lutherans and Catholics tend to look at the Bible as more allegorical, more as stories that we get spiritual concepts from. I said, a second major thing is that as Baptist people, because we believe the Bible, We also believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid all of our price full, free, and forever. And all I have to do is accept that gift. Whereas uh, Lutheran and Catholic friends, they believe that they have to add to salvation. Meaning that Jesus died for us and then I also have to do some things to help with salvation. For example, baptism or the Lord's Supper or mass or confession or any of those other things. None of those is necessary. Jesus and Jesus alone. We have to look at God's perspective to get his wisdom. And if I'm going to face God, I can't say, well, it's because I was baptized. If I was going to face God and he asked, why should I let you go to heaven? It's not because I was a good person. It's not because I'm Catholic or Baptist. Why am I going to heaven? Because Jesus paid my price and I accepted his gift. That's it. I didn't do anything to help him. He could do it all himself. He did it all of himself and all that was left was for me to accept the gift, to recognize whom he is and to accept that gift for ourselves. As we continue on, there's one more thing here that Christ who conquered death and hell. May I tell you that it is Jesus that paid that price for us. That we know that for life, God has given us wisdom for life, but we have to, to take death into the equation if we're going to live the life that we ought to live. What do I mean? There are so many people who say, well, I'm going to take care of it at the end. Well, you're never going to enjoy the life that you should if you haven't taken care of your death problem. Mm -hmm. Knowing for sure that Jesus is your savior, knowing for sure you're forgiven of your sins. As for the death problem, we have to be able to understand that we're going to stand before God. Every one of us are going to face death. No one is going to avoid it. No one's getting out of this place alive. All of us are going to face death. But it is Jesus Christ who paid that price for us. And then because we accept that free gift that he offered us, we can enjoy the life that we have now because we no longer have the weight of death weighing upon us. God wants us to enjoy life. We want, he wants us to enjoy the journey. And yet there's so many miserable people out there Because they're just trying to get by. They're not having God's wisdom. They're not enjoying life. They're finding all the faults. They're seeing the chaos. They're saying who's driving the ship. They have such uncertainty. They're seeing things from their perspective and not seeing it from God's perspective. And they don't enjoy the life that they have. Let me just ask you, are you enjoying your life? Are you enjoying the journey? 
Well, you can enjoy the journey by first of all, knowing for sure that your salvation is settled, knowing that you're forgiven of your sins because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Second of all is by learning to look at life from God's perspective, getting wisdom. And with that wisdom, having the discernment of what to do and when to do it. Applying these things within our life, having that discernment. And we can enjoy the journey. We can trust God. God's in control. I mean, there's so many things we worry about, frantically worry about, and we have no control over it. How many people get really worried about the weather? Well, none of us have any control whatsoever of the weather. We, we don't have anything. Uh, we, we worry so much about the future, but none of us can really do anything about the future. I could take care of myself the best I can, but I don't have any control of what happens tomorrow. I just got to survive this moment and get through it. There's so many things that we panic and frantic about, and we don't enjoy the journey. We need to have things in perspective and to be able to get the wisdom that God has given to us, seeing things from his perspective. And when we see that he's in charge, see that he's in control, seeing that we could trust him, it really lifts a weight off of us. I can trust him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.